0: In 1992, uh, you might remember a movie called A Few Good Men, where there was a young lawyer played by Tom Cruise who put on the stand uh, Colonel Nathan Jessup, uh, played by Jack Nicholson. In that movie, there's a classic line that still stands today, and I want you to see the clip so you see the line. Here it is. Check it out.
1: A moment ago, you said that you ordered Lieutenant Kendrick to tell his men that Santiago wasn't to be touched that's right and lieutenant kendrick was clear on what you wanted
2: crystal any
1: chance lieutenant kendrick ignored the order
2: ignored the order
1: any chance he forgot about it no any chance lieutenant kendrick left your office and said the old man is wrong no when lieutenant kendrick spoke to the platoon and ordered them not to touch santiago any chance they ignored him
2: You ever served in an infantry unit, son? No, sir. Ever served in a forward area? No, sir. Ever put your life in another man's hands? Asked him to put his life in yours? No, sir. We follow orders, son. We follow orders or people die. It's that simple. Are we clear? Yes, sir. Are we clear?
1: Crystal. I have just one more question before I call Airman O'Malley and Airman Rodriguez. If you gave an order that Santiago wasn't to be touched, and your orders are always followed, then why would Santiago be in danger? Why would it be necessary to transfer him off the base?
2: Santiago was a substandard Marine he was being transferred That's not what you said
1: you said he was being transferred because he was in grave danger That's correct. You said I... he was in danger. I said grave danger. You said is there I any recall other... what I, I said can have the court reporter read back to you I know me. what
2: I said. I don't have to have it read back to me like I'm why the director? two orders Colonel Sometimes men take matters into their own hands.
1: No, sir, you made it clear just a moment ago that your men never take matters in their own hands. Your men follow orders or people die. So Santiago shouldn't have been in any danger at all, should he have Colonel?
3: Your Honor, I'd like to ask for a recess.
1: I'd like an answer to the question, Judge. The
4: court will wait for an answer.
1: If Lieutenant Kendrick gave an order that Santiago wasn't to be touched, then why did he have to be transferred? Colonel? Lieutenant Kendrick ordered the code red, didn't he? Because that's what you told Lieutenant Kendrick to do. Object! And when it went bad, you cut cancer. these guys loose! Your Honor, you are just inside a phoney transport. Your Honor! You doctored the logbook. Damn, it can't you be. forced the doctor. Consider
2: not yourself in contempt!
1: Colonel Jessup! Did you order the code red?
2: You don't have to answer that question. I'll answer the question. You want answers? I think I'm entitled to- You them. want answers! I want the truth! You can't handle the truth!
0: Now, I cannot recommend you go and watch that movie (laughs) due to much of the language. Um, You can't handle the truth is a line that has stood the ages. And it's actually uh, just in some ways the title of this message. But the question is just one I pose for you is, can you handle the truth? Uh, John uh, is the apostle that writes uh, much of the New Testament. Um, obviously behind Paul and uh, a couple of his contemporaries. We know that John writes the gospel of John. He writes 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, writes the book of Revelation. And as he does so, he uses this word truth 45 plus times. And as he talks about truth, uh, he helps us understand what the gospel of truth looks like. And so today we're gonna look at the life of John as we continue this series Um, called Disciple. Over the course of the last few weeks, we've been doing that. And if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter 3, verses 13 through 19. As you're turning there, I want to welcome those that are joining us in Edgewood. Uh, We're so grateful to have them hanging out with us today. And uh, I want to just pray for us real quickly as we begin, if you don't mind. So if you'd bow your heads and uh, close your eyes with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your grace in our lives. We pray, Lord, that you would Encourage us, Lord, to walk in your ways. Lord, would you encourage us to walk in your truth? We love you and we thank you for your son, Jesus, who obviously is the epitome of truth. You're the way and the life. And I just pray that you would help us to follow you more closely today. And we thank you for the example of John, your beloved disciple, um, who we learned so much about. And we pray, Lord, that what we learn and what we hear today would help us think about not only the truth, but about how how we apply that to our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. It's in Mark chapter 3 that we see a list of these disciples, uh, followers of Jesus, these apprentices, these students, who are going to be called uh, as closer followers. Jesus calls them apostles. Uh, And it's in Mark 13, uh, or Mark 3, beginning in verse 13, that it says that he, Jesus, went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed the twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have the authority to cast out demons. And so therefore he appointed the twelve, Simon to whom he called the name Peter. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Bonerges, that is, the sons of thunder. And then there was Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Over the last handful of weeks, we've taken a look at the two brothers, Peter and Andrew. Last week, we took a look at James, but here we see James has a brother, and his brother was John. John is uh, a guy who is mentioned you know, numerous times in the Scripture, but he's not to be confused with John the Baptist. Totally different guy. He is the son of Zebedee, the brother of James, And he's the younger brother as well, and oftentimes um, is paired with his brother in some ways might look as if he lives in the shadows of James. John certainly is uh, a a very fiery guy. We know that just from the several instances we see of him that he is not necessarily reserved. He's not a recluse. He's certainly one of those that follows Jesus closely. Um, He's in the big three. It's Peter, James, and John that follow Jesus in uh, more secluded ways, certainly close relationship with him. Um, And here's the deal. Uh, We know that his name means Jehovah is a gracious giver. So John is, um, is a guy who's going to be marked by Jesus. Uh, He was called along with his brother uh, as a fisherman to follow Jesus, where he says the classic line, come and I'll make you fishers of men. And you see that just outlined in the Gospels. When you look at Peter, James, and John, we know that they went to places that the other nine apostles did not go. Um, As we've mentioned in former weeks, it's Peter, James, and John that uh, were with Jesus at the transfiguration, who saw heaven literally open up before their eyes and are able to be a part of a significant experience like that. It was Peter and James and John and Andrew who sit on the Mount of Olives with Jesus and they hear him tell about the end of the age, the end times. Um, It's Peter, James, and John that um, are permitted to follow Jesus when they see him heal Jairus's daughter. It's Peter, James, and John that have a significant relation with him. You even see that in the Garden of Gethsemane as they're encouraged to go further as Jesus prays uh, and sweat drops of blood pour from his head as he, in agony, seeks the Father. When he says something like this, Lord, may there be any other way that this cup could pass from me. But Lord, not my will, but thy will be done. It is in that secluded area that we know that Peter, James, and John were there nearby who obviously were fallible men that they had fallen asleep and were urged to, hey, can't you just pray for one hour? It seems like in many ways, as we've looked at the course of the last handful of weeks, that it seems very similar. These three guys are are close followers of Jesus. They are dear friends. And John would actually say he was the one whom Jesus loved the most. He's considered the beloved disciple. He's the one that Jesus obviously um, had a significant and very close relationship with. But it's also John and his brother James that uh, argue quite often and bring quite contempt among the other apostles because they argue which one's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God. Matthew gives an account that it's actually James and John's mother who goes to Jesus and on their behalf asks Jesus if her sons can be sitting at the right hand and the left hand of the Lord. So we know that in that family that there is obviously some sort of totem pole. There's a a desire to to be at the top of the pecking order. And we don't know if that's because Zebedee was a fiery man or potentially their mom who could have been Siloam was a fiery woman. What we do know is that James and John, the sons of thunder, were named specifically by Jesus because they were intense guys. Intense because we saw last week that they desired to call down fire from heaven on Samaria but there's another account that we see as well in Mark chapter 9, where Jesus is going to rebuke John because John goes and rebukes the guy who's cast out demons. And as a result of that, he goes, hey, listen, I'm, I'm going to go and scold this guy because he's cast out demons. And so as he does so, Jesus goes, hey, what are you doing? Jesus actually says, hey, don't stop him for for no one does a mighty work in my name will be uh, able soon afterward to speak evil of me. So he goes, look, if he's doing work in my name, he's like, don't go and stop him. But John's thought was, well, he's not of us. And so if he's not for us, he's against us. And Jesus goes, no, there's many people that are for us and for me that aren't with us in this particular moment. But you could see the spirit of competition that welled up in John. We know that John was a fiery guy. But we also know that his zeal over time uh, began to be self-controlled. We know that that fiery passion became a little more subdued. It wasn't subdued in the sense that he wouldn't tell people the truth, but it seemed to be that God took John on a journey and this beloved disciple became known as not only a truth teller, but he became known as the apostle of love he speaks candidly in his letters about what it looks like to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he tells you what it looks like to to be an apostle of love. And so just as John wrote frequently on the topic of truth, he also writes frequently on the topic of love. And if you don't believe me, you could just go and read first and second and third John, which would not take you, uh, but just a small bit of your afternoon and just see the themes in which you see truth and love intermingled together. It is John who reminds us that Jesus is the epitome of grace and truth. It is John who helps us see that a son of thunder, a fiery, zealous, intense guy can be In many ways, self-controlled by the power of the Holy Spirit and used for the gospel and the glorious good of God's name throughout the earth. John becomes that kind of guy. It is also John that at this particular scene um, is commissioned uh, by Jesus to do something that other disciples weren't. Matter of fact, I'm gonna put it for you up on the screen. If you wanna turn there, you can. But in John chapter 19, Jesus is hanging on the cross, and John is there with Jesus's mother and three other women. Now, keep in mind that John, the fiery, intense, zealous guy, is there at the crucifixion, and the scriptures would tell us, according to the gospel, that all the other apostles have fled. So we know that most of them are not near. They're huddled up. They're, they're, they've run for their lives. We know that it's Peter who just earlier had denied the Christ, who's working through so many of the things of his own. And John, the beloved disciple, is there along with Jesus's mother. And this is what Jesus says to John as he's hanging on the cross of Golgotha. Here it is in John 19, the latter of verse 24 um, says, so the soldiers did these things. They were casting lots for his clothing. They were dividing up his clothing as the soldiers did these things. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister. There was the Mary, the wife of Clopas, and then there was Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, which is unnamed, but this is John writing, and John frequently said that about himself, That disciple was standing nearby. This is John. He said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. It was there that Jesus entrusted John, his beloved disciple, as the caregiver for his own mother, Mary. Mary. We don't know what jo- what happened to Joseph in this narrative. We suspect that he has died. Something has happened to him. And so Jesus charges John to take care of his own mother. So you see the close relationship that John had with Jesus. Obviously, Peter, James, and John followed, but John would give you a narrative that him and Jesus... Had a unique and special relationship, that he was indeed not only the apostle of truth and the apostle of love, but he was a beloved disciple of Jesus, and that they had a very close relationship. You see that even there in that particular moment. But the question I posed to you earlier was can you handle the truth? Because this fiery contemporary of Jesus, this apprentice and student, this apostle, this disciple, Was obviously a truth teller and he tried to do so in love, but he did not hold back in his writing. And so I want you to see three things today as we kind of wrap up our time together that John says will be true of you if you're a Jesus follower. And John makes no bones about it. He's like, if you don't do these things, you are not a believer. If you don't do these things, you're not a follower. And in many ways, if you could see this man and he was looking you in the eyes, you might see and understand that he was an intense guy, but there's something about him that as God changed him, became soft and pliable and self-controlled into which I think he had a great compassion as he shares these things longing that no one would die apart from Jesus and that no one would be missing from the truth. And so as he shares these things and we ask the question, can you and I handle the truth? I think John is just saying, hey, here's some real clear ways to know that you're chasing after God. Here's some real clear ways to know that God is on the throne of your heart. And you'll see these from his letters first and second and third John. But this is very clear what he says. And the first one that he just helps us see as he writes bluntly and matter of factly is simply this, if you know Christ, you'll follow him. If you know him, you'll follow him. Now, isn't it John that in John chapter 10, if you remember, he gives a classic passage, all of John 10, in which he helps us understand that Jesus is the great shepherd, it is in that passage that he says, Jesus said that he is the great shepherd and that we are his sheep. And then he says, and if we hear his voice, we'll follow him. He gives us a great picture that the shepherd, he guards our hearts. He protects us from the enemy, but he also commands us. And when we hear the shepherd's voice, we follow him. That's what John tells us. But in 1 John chapter 2, verses three and six, this is what he says. He says, and by this we know that we have come to know him. So he goes, if you want to know if you know God, this is how you know. If we keep his commandments. Then he says, matter of factly, whoever says I know him but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. He gives you a contrast. He goes, you're either a, a truth teller, remember the theme there, or he goes, you're a liar. He goes, it can't be both. You can't say I love God and not keep his commandments. You can't say, I love God and I don't follow his voice. He goes, that's not truth. He goes, that you are lying to yourself if you believe that you follow after God and you don't obey his word. He, he, he keeps on going. He goes, and but whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this, we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. He goes, if you have a close relationship approximate relation with God, he goes, it's going to change the way you walk. And friends, what he means by that is it's, it's, going, it's going to change the way that you respond, the way you talk. It's going to respond the way that you interact with people. It's going, to, uh, it's going to be seen in how you make decisions. It's going to be seen in how you pursue hard after God. It's going to be seen even in your daily walk. And if you're working to abide with the Lord, which simply means to remain with him. And we remain with him through his word. We remain him with him by walking according to his spirit. We remain with him by linking arms with people in the local church and pursuing hard after Jesus. John says, look, these things will be true because whoever says he abides with God, what? Will walk in the same way that he walked. The reality is he's trying to help us realize if you know God, you'll follow him. You will walk closely with him. You'll keep his commandments. That's what he says just a chapter over in 1 John 3. He says this in verse 24, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God. So there he goes, if you abide in God, you'll walk with him. And he goes, here's how you know. If you keep his commands, you abide in God and God in him. He goes, and by this, we know that he abides in us. And it's by the spirit whom he has given us. John says, listen, if you know the author of truth, Jesus himself, Jesus reminded us that he's going away and a more suitable helper will come, the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will guide our hearts, will illuminate our path, will lead us to places that are fruitful. Because if you'll know him, you'll follow him. You don't have to lie to yourself. If you know him, you'll keep the commands of God. Second John 1 uh, <clears throat> simply says this, um, everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. For whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. So because you want to know that you're following after God, He goes abide in the truth, the teaching of Christ. That's how you know you have the Father and the Son. In First John 2, verse 15, he says it this way. He goes, hey, don't love the world and the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. He just says, listen, if you're chasing after God, he goes, you won't find yourself chasing after the world. And he goes, and if you find yourself chasing after the things that are not of God, then he goes, it's a chance to examine. Am I following after the truth or am I following after something else? And then I think John would say, hey, don't lie to yourself. Can you handle the truth? And so I think John is just saying, hey, if you know Christ, you'll follow him. But he also makes it explicitly clear in 1 John that if you follow him, you'll be walking in the light. Now, if you have been through our regeneration ministry, regeneration takes place on Monday nights, as uh, was announced earlier, is going to be uh, open enrollment soon. There's been so many people who have walked through that ministry uh, and one of the things that ministry helps us do is just to walk in the light. It helps us to be honest with ourselves, to be transparent. It helps us to kind of bring some of the junk that we've locked away out into the open. And it's really challenging to do that, right? Because we're like, man, I don't know what people are going to think of me if I, if I tell them this. Or, man, I don't know how they're going to treat me if I bring that stuff out. Man, I, don't, I just don't want to do that. It's painful. I've, I've already lived through it once. I don't want to live through it again. But I think what's interesting is this, is that in regeneration, the goal is not for you to take everything you've ever done and just lay it out there for every single person. That's not what it is. What it does is saying, Lord, you know the things I've done. You know the places I've been. Lord, you know the things that have been done to me. And Lord, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you that as painful as the process can be, that I'm going to trust that you'll bring to freedom and that you'll help me deal with the darkness so that I walk in your light. Because see, here's what happens, friends, is when we live in dark places, we're chained by them. We're ashamed by them. And as a result of that, we never feel like we can walk as closely with God as we should. And I think what's interesting is, is if we follow God, we'll learn to walk in the light. And it is painful and it is challenging. But in the midst of this, as we deal with the truth, even of our past, we trust that God is big enough to help us as we walk by faith, little by little. It's interesting because when we think about this passage, and I'll read it to you, we just see that there is no darkness at all in God. And if there's no darkness at all in God, I think John is just saying, hey, if we're following close after him, we should desire to get rid of all the darkness in us as well. You think about that, there's never been any sin in Jesus God has never done any wrong. He's never thought, said, or did anything that was not perfectly in line with who he is. As a result of that, he goes, I want you to be conformed to me. And so it just says, hey, bring things to light. Walk in light. This is what John says. And this is how the apostle John says it. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you. So he goes, I've heard it directly from Jesus and I give it to you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him, okay, we have a relationship with him, while we walk in darkness, look what John says. I mean, explicitly, he goes, we lie and we do not practice the truth. So he goes, can you handle that? He goes, if you're walking in places that are not what honors God, he goes, then you're lying to yourself. He goes on, he says this, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son cleanses us from all sin. What John, the beloved disciple, the apostle of truth, the blunt guy says, look, God has more for you. And when you'll trust him and you'll walk according to his ways, you will, will 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 flee from the darkness and you'll run to the light of Christ. And so just as Christ follows ourselves, like friends, we should seek to avoid the darkness and we should seek to live in the light. Expose things to the light. Walk uprightly. Live with great integrity. Make decisions that um that are wise, we bring hidden sin, unconfessed sin into the light. We trust that God is big enough to carry those things, to forgive us from all unrighteousness. And I think the question I would just ask this, hey, why hide something from a God who knows everything? And more than that, why lock it away when God desires to forgive it? Like, that's an amazing thing. Like. Think about this. I don't care what you think of me if I know that God will forgive me and cleanse me. Like at the end of the day, I what your opinion of me is when I'm walking closely with the Lord really doesn't matter if I bring things to Him and He helps me walk in freedom and in truth and in light. And I get it. Like we're like, well, that seems so difficult. And the reason why is because when we think walk in light, we think we, we should have him illuminate our entire path for the rest of our life. And I don't see that in scripture. Uh, when we think about trusting in the Lord with all our heart and leaning not on our own understanding, but in all our ways, acknowledging him that he will make straight our paths, what we're asking is that the Lord will give us just enough light for our next few steps. That he'll give us just enough light for our next few steps. And I think so many of us in this room, we struggle to trust God because we, we don't think he's given us enough light for the next year or two of our lives. And that's not the way that God works. If you remember how God works, he provided Israel in the wilderness with manna for today. And he warned them. He, he said, guard yourself against trying to take more. You don't need today and tomorrow's provision. You just need the provision of what? You just need the provision for what? And that's all that God wants from you. He wants nothing more from you, friend, than to trust him today. Like quit worrying about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough troubles of its own, doesn't it? He warns explicitly to his half-brother James to guard yourselves about what's gonna happen tomorrow and the next day and next year. Like, look, just trust God with a day. And there's some of you that today, like it's it's just trusting him one step at a time. And there's something that God wants you to do. And I would just say, trust him. Because if you know him, you'll follow him. And if you follow him, you'll bring things into the light. You'll walk in light. John makes it very clear for us and incredibly practical. And this is the third thing. He just says, look, and if you love God, it'll be reflected in the way you treat others. John, the apostle of truth says, you also should love others. And this is what he says. First John chapter three, he says, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. Now, I don't know about you, but like when you're reading that, like I'm like, oh, wow, that's shocking. Like if I were telling you that and it wasn't in the scripture, you'd be like, dude, that's kind of offensive. Read that one more time. Because like we've been, for some of us in church so long, like it's like, oh yeah, we, yeah. I mean, no, that's not a normal statement. Like, does that make sense? Like you don't tell that to your kids. You're like, hey, look, we can love our friends a little better. Like, hey, don't rip their toy away. No, like he says, hey, if you hate your brother, you are a murderer. Like that's pretty bold, a little bit brash, probably a little offensive. Then he says, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So he doesn't just say, hey, if you hate your brother, you're a murderer. He's going, and you know that murderers don't inherit the kingdom of God. You know, like, because that makes sense, right? A murderer is opposite of what God is. A murderer doesn't inherit the kingdom of God and he just makes the connection. Hey, if you don't love your brother, he goes, it's, it's very similar. Now, let me ask you a question. Where did John learn that from? Hold on one more time. Where did John learn that from? Jesus. He learned it from Jesus. Jesus is the one that taught his students this truth. You hate your brother? Hey, you're a murderer. Um, hey, you, have, you, have you looked at another woman lustfully? You're an adulterer. Jesus is the one who upped the ante and John was just listening. And as John listened, he goes, hey, let me just tell you what I've learned from the author of truth. Hey, let me tell you what I've learned from the God of love who manifested himself in the person of Jesus Christ. He says, hey, if, if, if you hate your brother, you're a murderer. And By the way, murders don't abide with Christ. And so he says, this is how we know that we love. That he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. He goes, This is how you know that Jesus is what you need. He laid his life down for you. And as a result, when you walk according to him, his word, his light, guided by the Holy Spirit, he goes, you'll begin to to lay your life down too. And then he says, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? And it's a practical illustration here. And then he says, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. Basically what he says is this, he goes, hey, how do you know that you love someone else? He goes, look, if you have the world's goods." and you hoard them all to yourself. He goes, you cannot convince anyone else that you love God and that you love others. And the reason why is because Jesus did not hold you in contempt and keep salvation from you. He willingly laid his life down. Even as John and his brother are arguing about who's going to be right and left, Jesus teaches them a lesson And he says, for the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. John learned that. You know where I think John learned something else is when Jesus washed the apostles' feet. He watched Peter deny Christ the opportunity until Christ says, you take no part in this, you take no part in the kingdom. Peter goes, well, give me a part of it then. I'll let you wash my feet. John seems to be learning And this son of thunder has not only a softened heart, but he loves people too much to not tell them the truth. And what he says is this. He goes, if you have the world's goods and you don't do anything about your neighbor in need, then he goes, you're lying to yourself if you would say you're a follower of Jesus. You think about that. Like, Do we have the world's goods here, friends? Let me ask you one more time. Like, hey, do you have the world's goods? Now, look, I'm not saying that, oh, we've all managed the world's goods well. But we've had them, haven't we? I mean, we are among the richest people in the world. If you live in America today, you are in the top 2% of the world's wealthiest people. And listen, not today, but of all time. Of the billions of people who have lived on planet Earth, you sitting in this room are among the top wealthiest people who have ever lived on the planet. You have more of the world's goods than most average people have ever had. And John is just saying, if you have the world's goods, show others how much you love God and meet needs. Next Sunday, we're gonna meet some incredible needs. Um, If you haven't been here the last couple of weeks, um, we're we're going to meet some needs in our community, and we're going to meet some needs by uh, feeding kiddos who uh, don't have food on Fridays, Saturdays, Sundays in Wills Point District. Hey, we're going to help uh, Edgewood um, send some kiddos to camp uh, through their Fellowship of Christian Athletes program. Uh, we've heard of other needs that are happening in our community, some families that we can partner with and help, and we're just going to be generous. Um, let me just share something with you real quick. This is a personal thing. Um, I'm an eighth-grade small group leader. Um, and, uh, there's this me and there's two other guys, two brothers. Um, they're not the sons of thunder, but they're two brothers who mean a ton of me for you know, with, uh, just in my life. I've known them for 20 plus years. Um, they're faithful people. Uh, oftentimes you see them in the back, not ever really in the front. Um, but they lead a small group with me. Uh, we had a, a guy in our small group um, who his family um, had a house fire. And so I just challenged the, the guys in our group, hey, what would it look like if we got together and we were just generous and just helped out this young man and his family. And uh, this last week, we got to, together with this young man and we put our hands on him and we prayed and we gave him some money. And those eighth grade guys raised over $800 for his friend. Like, that's cool. And I'm like... Like that's an amazing thing to watch this young man be blown away, almost embarrassed. Like what in the world? That's craziness. That's craziness. And you know how it happens? Everybody just contributes a little. And this isn't something I'm just asking adults to do. This should be the mark of the Christian life. Like this should be a mark of faithfulness. When we see a need, we meet a need. And that need ought to happen, start in our communities. But I can look across this room and I can count on more than two hands, adding my toes of the number of people in this room who because of the generosity of people in our church that's not funneled through a budget have been given a, an envelope explicitly by someone in our church. And they say, hey, we've heard of your need. And then somebody meets it. And I know for sure that in this room, there are people, there are dozens between both campuses in this service that have been handed a thousand or two thousand or three thousand or four thousand or five thousand dollars to say, hey, look, there is nothing attached to this. You owe us nothing. We love you, and we're sorry that you're working through the things you are. We want you to know that God loves you and He's worth following. We want you to know that it's worth walking in the light. We want you to know there's a church who will love you even as you're working through the difficult things. We know that it's not easy, but will you trust God? Will you follow him? And that's the church we wanna be. And next week, we're just asking, hey, would you contribute to meet some more needs that we're sharing with you? We're just asking as a family that you would consider giving a couple hundred bucks. I already know of a couple of people who have like, hey man, I'm gonna give 5,000 bucks. I'm like, praise the Lord. Friends, I don't have 5,000 to give at this season. But what I would tell you is this, we're, gonna, we're praying about what it is we are gonna give and we're just gonna help meet the needs we can. And so we would just say, hey, look, don't worry about the number. We just say, it's not about equal giving. I can't give what you can give and some of you can't give what I can give. But if we all say, hey, let's make a little equal sacrifice. Look, let's, let's do something that's significant for others and let's bring our gift next week And we're not going to celebrate who is playing in the Super Bowl. We're going to celebrate the giving that happens that Super Sunday. And so I encourage you, hey, would you be a part of that? As we wrap up, um, the two brothers that I lead with, Mike and Steve Laughlin, are dear friends of mine. Um, They've been in my life for 20 years. Um, And I just want to close, since we've talked about the Sons of Thunder the last couple of weeks, uh, with, with two brothers who don't look like the Sons of Thunder but God's using to make a difference. And we'll close with the testimony from Mike and Steve Laughlin. Y'all check this out.
4: Go ahead, introduce yourself.
3: So I'm Mike Laughlin, and this is my older brother, Steve Laughlin. I'm just going to start off by sharing my story we we've always been in church my dad has always worked for a church or private school his dad was always in church and so but it wasn't until my senior year of high school that um, we were having a revival it was on a sunday night and i just felt something tugging at me you know all week and then finally on sunday night i went down met with the youth director um just told him look you know i've been in church i've been playing this role I think everybody thinks I'm saved and so I was really embarrassed about doing it, but I just I felt the Lord calling me and I, I knew that I really had never done it. And so um, I gave
4: myself, I gave my life to Christ. Mine's similar to Mike because we lived together. Um, always went to church whenever the doors were open, my dad had us there. So we always knew truth and, and, um, and heard about, uh, about God. I had some friends go forward, so I went forward. But then it was later on, I want to say it was like my sophomore, junior year that um, it's kind of weird, but a, a dog had died. And so it just there was some question that I had about the dog and, you know, and, and where it was going and stuff. Even though I knew about heaven and hell, you know, I just started thinking, I don't I don't want to go to hell. So, you know, in mine, it was probably more of a fear, didn't want to go to hell. And that was enough, you know, for a while. But then it wasn't just a get out of jail free card or get out of hell free card. Um, it was more of a relationship, and um, that God wanted to see fruit and um, and me, wanted me to live for Him, not just accept Him and then go on about my way. Through college, I did, I mean, I did some stupid things, but I
3: wasn't one of those, you know, drinking and and partying. That's just never been my lifestyle. Just um, Never desired any of that. Found myself skipping church when I could just to go play softball or football or basketball and just, you know, got on that college high of playing sports and just wanted to continue to do that. And I think my identity was too much in sports right after college. Um, I still like to play occasional sports, but it's nothing like that. You know, it just kinda, the Lord started taking that desire away and wanting to spend more time in the church, just, you know, like we were when we were growing up. Every time the door was open, we were there. Back then, we were drugged to do it. It wasn't, come on guys, we're going. You, you don't have a choice. Now I have a choice, and I want to be there when the doors are open. Every opportunity that I can, I want to be there. So my identity isn't in sports and things that it used to be.
4: My identity is in Christ now. So I was married once before, and um, through just being selfish and, and things that I did, um, I got a divorce, and through that, it took that for God to get a hold of my heart and get a hold of me. Definitely wasn't consistently in my word, um, didn't consistently pray, um, wasn't seeking him. Um, I had godly people in my life, but I didn't have people that were um, digging into to me and making sure that holding me accountable and and things like that. It was mainly guys that I played softball with and even the guys at church that I played softball with. So I was around good people and, and just because I wasn't doing, the the bad things you know that uh you think that you're you're you've arrived that you're doing something and and so through the the divorce it, that's where uh um god got a hold of me and and totally um rocked my world in a bad way but ultimately it was it was for his good we went on mission trips together mm-hmm. to columbia and, and loved every
3: opportunity that but i never wanted to give my testimony there because I just felt it was plain. I, I was raised in church, I've always been around church. My dad's associate pastor. I went to a private high school and I went to a private college. Um, so my first experience at a public school was teaching in Lancaster. And um, so I've, I've always been you know, around that, I guess sheltered and so I'm like, I don't have a good story. Nobody wants to hear my story. Reluctant to tell and, it. Uh, yeah, I didn't mm-hmm. want to share. So when we went to Columbia, I always wanted other people to share their testimonies. So I'm like, golly, man, that, the Lord did wonders in his life. Mm-hmm. I'm like, he didn't do anything in my life. You know, you know and so I was really um, reluctant to share that. But God gave me this story for a reason. And I'm so thankful that I mm-hmm. didn't have to go through some of that stuff that other people have. Absolutely. But man, my, my story is his story. My story is not my story. This is a story God gave me and just, I want to share it now, you know, before I didn't want to share it, but I don't want people to have to experience some of the stuff you hear people experience. So I would say, man, give your life to Christ and not just part of it because until you give it 100% and it has nothing to do with religion, it's all about a relationship. And if you're just trying to seek knowledge, and not knowing the Lord and a relationship with Him, then, then you've missed the mark. And so I would just say, man, don't don't hold anything back. God already knows, just lay it all out there. I don't think a lot of people think that a revival could happen again. And I really believe that it could if we would all get on fire and all have one one goal, and that's to spread His word. You know, it says if each one will just reach one. And man, just think how many names could be added to the book.